Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast, and this is a GDP Minute. Now, imagine walking outside right now. Walk onto the pavement, the ice, whatever. You look down, and you got one prosthetic leg. Wouldn't that make you super grateful for having two legs if you just out of nowhere had a prosthetic? So, Noelle is a Paralympian. She clipped her leg in a terrible accident down Martha's Vineyard. Now she has one prosthetic leg. And this episode just made me super grateful. You know, you it's hard to go throughout your day and, like, realize all the good shit that goes on in your life. But, like, I got two functional arms. I'm built. I'm brolic. I'm athletic. I'm training for a marathon. And you re- realize sometimes that a lot of people, they don't even have the luxuries you have of being healthy. Like... I don't know. It just made me super grateful. Noelle was cool as hell. She was super confident and um, rubbed off, man. Contagious. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. She's the bomb. And uh, I'm glad we met. Also, I got the GDP Fit Komodos coming in. I'm going to do a little exclusive order for anybody who wants them. Again, they're going to be the freshest fitness shirts in Boston. Maybe even if you're listening outside of Boston, I'll ship it to you. No problem. I got the fresh materials. We've been testing them out. That's that. And uh, we're rolling. Again, guys, all I ask is I need you to do me a favor. If you get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, you cry, you're entertained. I know I just say that, but I really mean it. If you actually listen through this episode and you get some value from it, please share it on social media or share it with a friend. GDP grows super organically, and I can't do it without you guys. For real. Thank you guys so much and enjoy. And shout out to Brendan for all the awesome kick-ass research he did with me for this one. All love. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. Hi, my name's Noah Lambert, and this is my golden hour. Shit. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> all right, let, let's get into it before uh, our computers and our phones break down. All right. On the phone, one, hey, nice to finally meet you. Hopefully. I know, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, on my phone, I have our producer, Brendan, and he did a okay. bunch of kick-ass research to make sure we sound professional for this. Awesome. Sounds great. He said, what's up? What's up, Brendan? How are you? All right, so, so before you broke out last time, you were kind of explaining... What's going on? You're in a prosthetic place or? Yeah. So like I'm at my prosthetic uh, company. It's basically like my doctor's office. Uh, I got a new blade last week. So I've just been testing it out, getting the kinks out. So I just needed to uh, make some adjustments to it. It's just, it's a little too heavy for my liking. So they're just kind of making different adjustments to try to figure out um, what's wrong. But usually it's just the height, need to fix the height and like um the duration and everything like that it uh, there's a ton of stuff that goes into it it's crazy that you would never think of but (laughs) now you're again i'm like totally new to the prosthetic world so if i sound like an idiot this whole time just let me know don't you worry about it (laughs) so your your blade is essentially like the lower part of your prosthetic correct yeah so i have so the top half is a socket which basically is what um, my leg goes into and then I have a mechanical knee and then I have that blade which is that big yeah the big C thing that yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
Now, um, before we move on, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, my name is Noelle Lambert. I am a member of the U.S. Paralympic track and field national team. I um, was the first above knee amputee to ever play Division One lacrosse, and I'm also the founder of the Born to Run Foundation. And you're currently training for Tokyo, right? Yes, I'm currently training for Tokyo 2021. Now, was this supposed to happen in 2020, but then COVID canceled it? Yes, it was supposed to happen. It was crazy because I was only going to have a year to train, um, but then they made the decision to push it one year exactly. So it's kind of been um, a uh, a bittersweet feeling just because I was so new to it. So I was very nervous, uh, but having this whole extra year to train has kind of been a blessing in disguise. So I'm kind of grateful for it because I can get more competition and experience under my belt. Have you gotten faster in the past year with the extra training? I would say, uh, yes, I think so. And with this new blade too, I think that I haven't, we haven't really timed myself. My coach is very big on not, if he does time us, he doesn't tell us. He's very big at keeping that to himself until like it's an actual competition. But I can just feel uh, quicker and faster with the new blade and technology that I have right now with it. And so, yeah, I'm definitely excited. I am going to California tomorrow. So hopefully I'll get some times that I'm there just to figure out where I'm at. Can you elaborate why your your coach doesn't time you? I don't know. It's just kind of like uh, like things that we shouldn't be worrying about and only he should be worrying about. He's very old school with that, um, I would say. But it's kind of, um, it's like a breath of fresh air. Like whenever we do workouts and stuff, he'll have a stopwatch. And like, if we need, if he thinks that we can go faster, he'll just be like, pick it up or slow it down. Like he's very big on that. I think he's not trying to worry about times right now um, because we really have nothing coming up other than the Paralympics, but we don't have any competitions as of right now scheduled within the next few months. So he's just worrying more about the technique, uh, that like technique and running form rather than getting the speed because he says that with that can be that can be arranged and everything in in like two months so he's just worrying about the technique and everything like that but it must be on your mind right like am i like oh yeah all the time it's crazy because everyone always asks me and i'm like i don't know my coach keeps it to himself and like even my prosthetic company they're always like so are you running faster like we need to know this so that we need to know if the blade's working or not, or if it's a better blade for you. And I'm like, I don't know. Um, Cause usually I'll go, I'll do uh, like a workout with them on the side and they'll be timing me and they'll be going and like making adjustments to my leg and everything like that. Do you think it's just totally mental? Like to be honest, oh, 100%. that's like the one thing a coach should do is time your runs. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how much, how much you pay uh, this guy, man. Listen, I don't pay him. The, the U.S. The U.S. team pays him. So he's, he listen. He's a great. He's a great guy. Great. Great coach. I mean, every athlete that he has trained uh, trained has like always hit their fastest time and mark with him. So I trust everything that he's doing. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's just it's a it's a crazy process. I'm honestly so new to it. So I honestly just do whatever he tells me to do. <laughs> well, you know how I texted you yesterday. I was like, Yo, I'm gonna go time my 100 meter. Oh yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> Miserably, I actually <laughs> I slipped on the first couple of tries. It was too bad. <laughs> I think I think we're sitting right around the same time. I think I was like sixteen seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's just if you if if it's not something you train for, that's like a hundred percent fine. And you're doing more long distance, so that definitely makes sense. 
Um, but you never like, I mean, everyone's always like, oh no, I want to race you. And I'm always telling them, I'm like, you will probably beat me. The girl that I train with, she is a, a baloney amputee. So we don't compete against each other. And she's a lot faster than I am. And I swear to God, she could kick my ass if I had two legs, like a hundred percent. Now, yeah, that was something when we were researching, like we learned that there are classifications based on Paralympians, which I never, yes. it was like, it was like T160, T280, T280. Yeah. Can you kind of explain so I that? Am, so I am a T63, which just means uh, I am an above knee amputee. So I only compete against people who have above limb deficiencies. And then there's a classification group for every disability that you can ever think of, like below knees, um, double amputees, visually impaired, cerebral palsy. Like it's crazy. Like, and then if you're legally blind, but not hundred percent blind, like they test you in these classification appointments and that's how they are determined what group you're in. So it's, it's a really fun and like weird process because I mean, I knew what classification I would group I was going to be in. Cause it's very, like, it's very easy, but there are people out there who like aren't a hundred percent blind, but they can still see like in certain uh, lights and there, it takes them so long to be in a classification group. It's crazy. <laughs> Wait. So let's say you're like legally blind, but you're not fully blind. Is that a different classification than someone who's fully blind? Yeah. So there's probably like, I would say maybe three to four different classification groups for people who are legally blind and then hundred percent blind. Cause if you're hundred percent blind, you're usually running with someone who's tethered to you who can see hundred percent and they're just your guide athlete, which is like one of the coolest races you'll ever go and watch because they train together all the time and you need to be in sync and stepping at the same point and everything. And it's just crazy because the person that can see and that's able-bodied, they can't cross the finish line before you. They have to cross it behind you. So it's like they have to push you forward. It's it's a whole different thing. I mean, I always say that going to like a Paralympic track meet is always the like such a fun and cool experience because you get to see all these amazing athletes, not only competing like at the best of the, like the best that they can, but they're also competing like the best that I've ever seen any able body do. So it's just, it's an, it's amazing thing to see. Yeah. We thought like, I didn't know there were classifications before we were researching. And so we were like looking at all the world records and stuff in the world. Record. Oh yeah. It was like 10 seconds, but then like I clicked the lady's Wikipedia and it was like, yeah, she's blind. So I thought you had to compete against people that were blind with two functions. Oh yeah. Like, no, no. that's <laughs> super unfair. I was like, yeah, no. So then arm amputees, only arm amputees run against each other. So it's, it's all different there. It, it is very fair. I would say there are a couple hiccups. Like when I competed at the world, uh, world championships, there was actually a girl that I was competing against and everybody else was coming. She had two legs and she had like a club foot. And so there just weren't enough people like her to have her own classification group. So that they threw her in with ours and she literally like smashed the world record. Like she beat all of us. So it was just like, everyone was like texting me after asking. And I mean, it kind of sucks because I came in fourth in the world and like I, that could have been bronze for me. So it's like a weird, um, not unspoken rule. I mean, it changes every single year, like the rules and everything. So I'm hoping, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to guess now that I'm definitely going to be competing against her in Tokyo, but hopefully it'll change for, uh, Paris 2024. 
it's just it's it's all politics kind of and it's all kind of ridiculous but nothing you can really you have an arch nemesis yeah i mean she's very nice she's very nice but like you could kind of tell like all like everybody who she beat were just was just like looking at her like she was so excited we're like all right congrats like you beat people who have one leg like congrats now what's the gap between you and first and second so first and second who were above me they were like high 15s so right or no low 15s so like i'm just i'm in like the high 15s right now um but i mean it's it changes all the time because people get better and it's i mean it's crazy because the girl i train with she's like yeah like i wouldn't you don't focus on like their times that they're getting before tokyo like you have to show up to the big stage and get that time when like all those nerves and everything are kicking in so i mean it's crazy how like things can change but i mean i'm up there it's just uh, I'm I'm definitely the fastest I would say in the U- United States as of right now. Um, Fucking good. Which is yeah, which is a hundred percent fine with me. I know that. I mean, it's it. You know, I go to these competitions and I'm just thinking to myself that I'm just really lucky to be competing alongside the best in the world. And like for a couple of years, I was looking up to all these girls who I was competing against and like kind of studying them. And so to be able to compete alongside them and be up there with them, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. You got that Tom Brady media presence. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're being too nice. Listen, no. yeah. I know you want to slit these girls' throats. I know you want to take them out. Listen, my, my, my parents and my mom, like, always says that she's going to pull, like, a Tanya Harding on the girl with the two legs. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, I, I, I just, I have to be the um, respectable and the humble one in the family. <laughs> Wait, so, can you just totally simplify and clarify that? So, the girl who beat you has two functional legs. Yeah. So she has what is called the club foot. Um, I'm not a hundred percent certain or like educated on it, but I mean, it's crazy because when I was warming up me and one of my teammates, we were warming up and we we're going to be competing against her. And she wasn't even limping. I mean, when she was running, when she was walking and we were like, are you kidding me? Like this girl seems fine. So yeah, she has two uh, two pretty much functioning legs. I don't know what goes into these processes. I'm I'm still fairly new, so I I don't want to step on any toes when I say that. But it seemed to be a little uh, a little crazy. Like at least she should be competing against people who are below knee amputees. Like she was more up there with that time um, than competing along of the the above knee amputees. So it's. It's crazy, but it's something that I can't really uh, complain too much about because it's out of my hands. <laughs> so, she, so she just has one fake foot. Kind of. I don't, I don't, I'm not 100% certain what a club foot is. It's, okay. I, I think like you just don't have like 100% function, but you still have your leg. So now traditionally, again, this is like totally new to me. Traditionally, the below knee amputees run faster than the above knee amputees. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because they have, because they have a full functioning knee, whereas people who are above knee, they have like a mechanicalized knee. So we have to rely on the mechanicalized knee to do a lot. Um, so that's 100% why, like, a lot of, like, you will, I don't think, I mean, I've never seen the above knee amputee beat a below knee amputee that are like in like a serious competition. It's usually, pretty like cutthroat they don't compete against each other just because it's completely do two different disabilities it's basically like 
running against an army amputee. That's what I would kind of say. <laughs> and I'm sure wheelchair is just a totally separate designation, right? Yeah. So those are called the wheelies. So they have their own classification groups, which is, I mean, it's pretty cool to watch. Um, I actually know one of this girl, her name's Tatiana McFadden and she's just a complete beast. And we were at the Olympic training center last year and she was like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go do a marathon on the track. And I was just looking at her. I was like a marathon. Isn't that like 26 or something miles? And she's like, yeah. I was like, how many laps is that? And she was like, I think like 190, like two, uh, it was, it was insane. She was out there for like three, three, four hours. <laughs> is she just jacked? Oh yeah. It's, it's insane. Like her muscles. I was just like, oh my God, I'm so intimidated right now. <laughs> well, um, so can you kind of just give everyone a back? Cause you had told me this story, but can you just kind of give everyone a background on like where you grew up a little bit, I know New Hampshire and then kind of playing sports and then getting into your accident. Yeah. So I grew and, and up. I'm in, sorry. I'm sure you've probably said this like 5,000 times. You're fine. Don't worry about it. I grew up in um, Londonderry, New Hampshire. Uh, I have three other brothers, so they were always pretty big on sports. Um, so that's what kind of got me into being active and playing sports and everything. I was a three-sport varsity athlete all through high school, playing soccer, basketball, and lacrosse. And then I earned myself a Division One scholarship to play at UMass Hall in Massachusetts. And my freshman year- Was that the only school you were getting looks at? I was getting looks at like a couple, uh, a few other ones, but what I really, what really drew me in with, to UMass Hall is it was a new Division One program. So I knew that I was gonna be playing right off the bat. Whereas like all these other schools, like you go and maybe you're sitting out your freshman year, you're just working. I just knew that I was going to be a part of something that was so cool. Like to be able to start a division one program and like to be able to say like, I was like one of the first, um, one of the first teams to do so that kind of is really what drew me in. So I, com I committed really early because I had a really great relationship with the coach. I had a great relationship with the university. Um, so when I did do, when I did go there, I was starting every single game. I was a leading point scorer on the team. I was on the all rookie team for my conference. I was rookie of the year for my team. And so, so your decision really to go to UMass Lowell was purely athletic. Like you didn't give a shit about the academics. Yeah, no. I mean, that was kind of I did literally sports is what got me into a really good college. Um, I never you're, applied you're myself. A crash student. <laughs> Yeah, I never uh, applied myself in school the best that I could have before my accident, I would say. I just didn't really care, which, you know, you kind of look back on and you kind of regret just because maybe it could have gotten me into one of those top Division One schools and stuff like that. Because, I mean, I was I was talking to Vanderbilt for a little bit. I mean, that's a really, like, sick school to go to. But then my grades were kind of what was, like, slowing me down on that. Um, listen, so when I Listen, before we move on, Let's get on the same page about this. <laughs> I do not regret a single night not doing homework. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would never do homework. Literally, like, all through no high school. Shot. All through high school. Like, even like freshman year of college, it was very difficult for me to apply myself. I mean, <laughs> for me, like, for me, it was literally strictly about sports. And that was why I went to college. And so I didn't really care what my major was. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so I literally picked a, a major that I knew I'd be able to pay attention to, which was criminal justice and psychology, because it was very interesting. I had no interest in becoming a cop. It was just, 
strictly soul based on it was get okay like I'm gonna go into a class and learn about like different things that are really interesting so I'll be able to pay attention um so my freshman year I mean I didn't do awful in school but I definitely could have done better um and I don't know why we keep defending this like I hate when people do this no some people just hate school and are not good at it like that's okay and now you're balling like you realize it doesn't matter I mean, because what after my accident happened, I started applying myself a lot more to academics and just applying myself more to because I was that type of athlete that a lot of people hated. I hated doing any extra work. I hated practice. I only liked the game. So I'd only show up to the game and like I would do really well, but then I would show up to practice and I'd be a little shit. So it was just that it was that athlete that coaches loved and hated at the same time. Like I always had a really good sense of humor and stuff. And like, I was always very bright in that aspect and like loud, but I definitely didn't apply myself a lot. Um, and so the reason why I keep saying like all this is because like, this is something that I always talk about like my motivational speech, like speaking and everything and speeches, like telling people like, you don't want to look back and regret it and stuff like that. Because I mean, I definitely could have been, a de- like a better student, a better athlete. I mean, so when my accident did happen, it was kind of like shit. Like I don't know what I want to do with my life. Sports was literally the only thing going for me that I thought, and I thought that I would never be able to play again. I thought my life was over. I thought I was never going to be able to run again, walk again. And I mean, it just like it just kind of made my whole mindset switch. So yeah, people who are listening that don't know, I was involved in a moped accident. Uh, in Martha's Vineyard, I sideswiped a dump truck coming at me. I really had no idea how to ride it. It was my first time driving a moped. And my leg was actually severed on the scene. I remember looking down, seeing my leg was gone. I was completely conscious, completely lucid. I literally told somebody to call my mom. I gave her my phone number, gave her the phone number. Like it was crazy. Like I was so much in shock where I didn't feel anything. So it was just insane. <laughs> now, where in Martha's Vineyard did it happen? It was on like the main road, like Barnes Road, like near Oak Bluffs. Like we were on our way to the beach. So it was, I think that's like the highway in Martha's Vineyard, Oak Bluffs. I mean, Barnes Road, if that's, I mean, that was my first time going there too. So I wasn't really too familiar with the island. <laughs> yeah, my my family has houses down there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't even mean to sound like a dick, but no, <laughs> there, there's literally like bumper stickers everywhere that says mopeds are dangerous. It's like a problem down there. Oh yeah. That, so I started hearing about that a lot after the fact, like so many people have been complaining about it trying to get them banned on the Island. And I mean, for a long time, like, I mean, my family was trying to do the same, but I wasn't really too, I mean, obviously if people know how to drive it, if they're taught properly, then a hundred percent, like that's fine. Um, but I a hundred percent wasn't really, um, too aware of how to ride a moped, how to drive a moped. I was 19 years old. Like the, the test I took in the beginning was a joke. I didn't really care. I didn't like actually take it seriously enough, which was probably a hundred percent on me. So. Yeah. But I mean, any kid our age would have done that. Yeah, exactly. Go to the beach and like you probably want to go house some white claws with your girlfriends. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, um, so you were totally conscious when the whole thing happened. And when did the pain start to set in? Was it 30 minutes of just pure adrenaline or? 
Yeah, like I would say it was like 30 minutes to an hour. And then I was actually mid-flighted from Martha's Vineyard to Boston Medical Center. And so that's during the helicopter ride. That's when everything started to like hit, like hit, like hit in. And like I started feeling everything. And I just remember thinking, all right, this isn't a great feeling. I remember complaining to all the people, like the EMTs and the helicopter, just being a huge pain in the ass they had like headsets on and they didn't give me one. So every time they were talking, I couldn't hear anything they were saying. And they, then they gave me another dose of the medication I was on and I didn't know who or what I was for the rest of that helicopter ride. So that kind of helped. <laughs> were, you, and were you with your friends this whole time? They came on the helicopter with you or? No. So I was actually uh, by myself. Um, the girl that was riding on the moped with me, she stayed in Martha's Vineyard Hospital. Uh, realistically, I think she should have been medflighted as well, just because I think she would have gotten uh, better treatment, better care at Boston Medical Center. Um, and I just think it would just it would have been better for like her recovery and everything. But so she ended up staying back there. But um, my parents actually met me at DMC. So I got to see them right before going to surgery, which was which was good because, I mean, my mom got that phone call literally thinking that I was going to die. So telling everyone telling her that my parents that I was stable I think that was definitely needed before going into surgery and it kind of eased their it calmed their nerves a little bit so now I'll tell you something funny I um when I was 16 down Martha's Vineyard it was like right I'm sure it was the same thing for you like right at that age where you kind of start like smoking trying to weed and like drink <laughs> yeah and so that summer my friends and I would like we'd love going down there. Cause like you could get like fucked up and no one would. Really yeah. Know. And exactly. So, yeah. so it was July 4th. I'd gotten like actually hammered for the first time with my friends. Then the next night, my friends, my cousins and my best friend were like, all right, we're going to go back out. We're going to get smacked again. I was like, oh, I don't really know. Like, I'm not really feeling it tonight. I have a bad feeling about it. So like an, an hour and a half passes and I get a call and I'm like, someone's like hey dude jack i'm sorry to call you out bro They're like hey you got to come down here this jack's acting like very fucked up so i so i walk like two miles away from my house and my best friend who does all the graphics the thumbnail i sent you who does everything for us yeah incomprehensibly fucked up like oh my god like he had housed two now gene vodka bottles oh my god because you don't know right and so yeah like, that night progressively got worse and worse and like i we went to the martha's vineyard hospital that night and i thought that dude was gonna die oh my god that place yeah. is cursed. that place is cursed it is it is it's crazy <laughs> it was so bad like um he uh he had like a catheter in his thing so yeah piss and so like his his BAC was like a 0.42 and they pull the catheter out and he's screaming oh. you bitches are the devil you bitches are the devil and I'm over here that's I, awful I know it's ridiculous and I have like a mohawk I'm like 16 years old and I have like a mohawk just I look like a punk <laughs> and it still is probably one of the worst nights of my life like to oh I'm sure yeah I'm sure so you and I are never going back there yeah. <laughs> um, so you start recovering, right? Like I'm sure you get surgery. Was it a was it a conscious decision at the time? Like, all right, we're gonna have to you're gonna have to become an amputee. 
Well, so my leg, my everything below the knee was severed on the scene. So I remember seeing someone literally carrying my leg around in the towel. Um, but I still had my knee at that point. And um, they had to make, I mean, they were pulled my parents aside and just saying like she would have a better quality like of life and wouldn't have to do as many surgeries if we amputated the knee as well. And so they, that's why they ended up taking it during surgery. But I mean, I was very, I was very um, lucky just because I went through two surgeries and I, I was there for four days and then I went to rehab. I mean, you hear all these stories about other people going through these like insane accidents and they're there in the hospital for months. I mean, I was literally there for like four or five days and I was transported to Spalding rehab and I was there for a week and then I was back home. So it was just, it was, I literally felt like I was there for a year, but it really was a quick process. Um, and like, I was actually really grateful that I knew that my leg was gone before my surgery, because I think waking up and having them tell me that my leg was gone, I think I would have taken it a lot differently. Um, but I was very like uplifting. I mean, I had tons of visitors every single day telling me that like my life isn't over. I had a lot of the Boston marathon survivors reaching out, coming to visit. So that was amazing. And like, they were the ones telling me your life isn't over. You're going to be able to do everything you want to with your life. So sitting there, having, listening to them tell me that I really just made it a point to myself. I was like, all right, if they're telling me this, I'm going to believe it because I can't feel sorry for myself with everything that they've gone through. And if they're sitting here being badasses, then I need to do the same. So I would say my process was uh, definitely very weird in that aspect because I literally, literally like um, a psychologist came in to see me in Spalding just to make sure like everything was fine, like mentally. He was in there for 10 minutes. He walked out, she's like, yeah, she's fine. <laughs> so I actually took it surprisingly well. Um, obviously I had my moments, but... Do you, just, do you ever get angry? You know, no, no, I don't actually. I always say now I'm grateful for it. And I honestly wouldn't change a thing about it because it really did change my life for the better. I mean, like I said, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I was basically a shithead before my accident. Just didn't care about anything other than myself. I was really selfish. And so having this happen to me, it just like made me think back and realize what's important and not to worry about stupid things that aren't important and stuff like that. So I never get mad at it. Um, certainly like I've had a great uh, support system, like my friends and everybody, my family members coming and like helping me out. My friends are amazing. And I mean, I have a very sick, sick sense of humor about it. And so do they, I mean, it's insane. The amount of jokes and everything and the amount of things that they try to get away with and say, well, my friend has one leg, so like I can't do this. I, I mean, going say, with, you, so you use the sympathy card a little bit. Yeah, you know what? I milk it, and I 100% <laughs> can. Like I have a Jeep, like we were talking about. I have a Jeep Wrangler, and I have the handicap pass, and so I get dirty looks all the time. And I'm always the one driving my car everywhere because I I, I know I'll get a parking spot. So. My Jeep Wrangler is known as the clown car because all the girls are rushing up and like everyone wanting to get in it. And then we park in a handicap and then they see all these blondes and all these girls getting out of the car and they everyone wants to start yelling at you. And I, I can't tell you how many times people have said something to me saying that's a handicap. And I don't even open my mouth. All my friends just start attacking that person saying like I have one leg and stuff like that. 
So, so you, I mean, you skip the line at Capo? Oh yeah, I skip every line, like harpoon, harpoon, you know, that crazy line that goes like a mile long. I'll just walk to the front with 12 of my friends and I'll be like, yeah, can we get in? Like, I don't want to wait in line. They just let me in. So <laughs> listen, I don't have a leg. I can milk it as much as I can. And I don't want to hear anything about it from other people. <laughs> well, I have a nut allergy, so I, I might start doing the same. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Just got to milk everything. Well, yeah, no, I had the, I had the COVID for a couple of weeks and I was trying to milk it like crazy. I was like, yeah, like it's hard for me to go out there and make food. Like if you guys could bring me a home cooked meal, that would be awesome. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) I would do the same thing. So how long did the, uh, the rehab take after and, and, uh, like, what is it like, what did it feel like mentally different? Like you, you'd send signals to your leg and it, it just wouldn't move or Yeah. So it's crazy. That was like, honestly, the worst part of the whole thing was the phantom pains. Um, just because I could feel, it literally felt like my toes were dragging against the pavement. Like I had all these like pinching someone literally felt like someone was stabbing my foot and it's all mental. So you can't like get rid of that. And so like, I tried everything like the mirror trick doesn't work. It's a myth. There was like stim and everything like different, what is the different things? what uh like you sit in front of a mirror or like you put the mirror to your left side the side that you have a leg so it looks like you have two legs and so in my eyes I feel like that's worse because you're looking at two legs and you're thinking to yourself oh so I do have two legs so that's making it worse so that was always that never helped and then I actually went to a hypnotist and that's actually when they started getting better which was pretty cool I mean I was so doubt I was so doubtful I was like this isn't gonna work this is stupid and that's actually when they started getting better. Um, and then it took it took about like uh, two months for me to get my walking prosthetic. So that was just a whole different thing just because it was so weird because I basically was learning how to walk again. And the type of walking leg that I have it has a microchip. So I have to charge it every night like, like you charge your cell phone. And it just helps it bend. I have to put the correct amount of weight on it for it to bend. And it has sensors and everything. So... It was just really difficult to try to get my mind to like actually think of how to walk. And so it did take a little bit. It took me like three weeks to like actually walk without a cane. And I mean, I didn't get a running blade until like seven months after my accident because they're so expensive and insurance companies don't cover it. And so I had to start applying to foundations. I had to like reach out to different people. And then when I did find out that I was being granted with one, they told me that it was going to be like a seven month period. So once I did get my running blade, it was insane. It was just, it's a completely different leg. Um, it's not as stable as your walking leg. So if you take a wrong step on it, you're on your ass. So I literally was harnessed in a treadmill and I couldn't run for more than 10 seconds at a time. My first time I was running and it was just like such a I mean, when I didn't, I literally thought to myself, I don't want to even put this back on after this because it was, I literally thought it was impossible. I was never going to play lacrosse again. I was never going to run again. It was just so uncomfortable and I felt so unstable. And I just kept, I just kept showing up to PT and then I started getting easier and easier. And then I hired a personal trainer um, to just have her kick my ass and just have me get back in shape. And so I could get comfortable and confident enough to run on my blade uh, before I can even think about picking up a lacrosse stick because <laughs> that's just too many things to think about. Now, you're obviously like super confident and super competitive. Have you had mm-hmm. other prosthetic 
or other amputees who just battle with the recovery much harder than you did? Yeah. I mean, I would say everybody has their own story. Everyone's different. Um, you know, people go through, people go through depression. I mean, I was lucky enough to not go through that. I think just because at the time, um, in the position where I was in my life, I had the, um, amazing, uh, support system from UMass Lowell and being a part of a division one lacrosse team. I had that family and to just keep me busy, keep my mind occupied, to keep me, um, encourage, like encouraging and everything, keep me confident about myself. So I really think that played a part in it. Um, because you hear all these different stories of people going through it alone or don't have that type of support system. And I mean, it's tough. Everyone, you always respect every amputee and every, every amputee story because every story is different. No, like even if it happened the same way, like people, everybody, not one person is the same. Um, and what might be easy for me or what might be difficult for me could be easy or difficult for somebody else. So, I mean, the girl that I train with every single day, she lost her life when she was 10 and she never even picked up, she never had a running blade until she was 22, 23. So she went through high school and college and never played sports and then just, uh, received a running blade one day and then was an absolute beast. So she went through a completely different, like completely different process. So it's just, it's different for everybody. Um, number two, what was the hypnotist like? Like, did they do the, with the watch and like, how did it work? You know, I don't even like remember it. The only thing like I kind of remember, cause I literally fell asleep, like, or I thought I fell asleep. They just asked, they just like told me to think of an image and then just keep thinking of that image. So for some reason I thought of a swan and then I was laying down. It was very, it was in somebody's random house. Like it was so weird. <laughs> and I don't know. It worked. You it was, it. It, I guess it just worked. It was, it was crazy. I literally got up was and it like, a dude or a chick. It was, a, it was a girl. And so like, she was very spiritual and like that vibe. And so like, I was just like, literally I showed up and I looked at my mom who drove me. I was like, this is so stupid. This is not going to work. And then she walks in the room and I looked at her. I was like, are you kidding me? Like now I got to listen to this girl for an hour, but listen, it worked. I give her props. <laughs> so you just got one session and then what happened? You just stopped feeling the pain. Yeah, like I still get them from time to time, but literally for like 20 seconds. They're not bad. I mean, I still have the phantom limb sensation where I can still feel my foot. I still have that because I went through 19 years of my life having a leg, um, but I've gotten used to it. It just kind of feels like a tingly feeling if I really think about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's honestly not as bad. I mean, like they gave me like medication for it. Never worked. Like nothing ever worked other than the hematis. It was insane. So when you say you have phantom pain, like you feel like your foot's there sometimes and it will like cramp up? Yeah, like I'll just get like cramps. I'll, it literally will feel like someone's like stabbing my foot for a second. Like it's it's insane. Oh, what the hell? Yeah, the mind is a very powerful thing. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, it goes to show you're using it the right way, like fucking channeled. Exactly. I would, I would be such a maniac if I was in your position like um, it was you you would think that if someone told me that this was gonna happen to me i would literally be like oh my god i'm gonna take it awful like i'm gonna be i'm not gonna do anything with my life because i was that pain in the ass like for me having this happen to me was like a must because it just changed everything about myself 
do you believe in destiny? Yeah, I believe things definitely happen for a reason. And I like so many people said to me, like, I mean, I'm not like really a spiritual, like religious person, but like God chooses like people who to go through these difficult situations that he thinks can handle it. And like, I believe in that a hundred percent because I agree. I Yeah. I've definitely handled it very well. I mean, people like people are kind of like baffled by the fact about how well I've handled it. Like my sense of humor is like just way too much. I don't even like, I honestly, it's, it's, it's crazy how much I milk it and like, I enjoy it. It's, it's great. <laughs> now, like growing up, did you go to church or like you just have your own thoughts on God? Yeah, no, I was never uh, funny story. Actually, I actually got kicked out of CCD for not attending. Um, I just never went. Uh, I, I, I had like my first communion and everything. But I after that, I just we just know like my family, like we, we never went to church or anything. I mean, but Christmas and Easter, right? Yeah, like stuff like that. Um, but like my uncle, like he was always very big and like very religious. And so like when my accident happened, like he was like praying over my bed and stuff like that. So <laughs> you're probably out of here. I was, I mean, I was very heavily medicated, so I wasn't really like listening. So that was good. But what, what did yeah. they pumping through your veins? They had a little opium or something. I don't even, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't even remember. Honestly, I just remember I was having a conversation. I thought I was having a conversation with 10 people around my, around my bed and nobody was there. Like my mom walked into me. She's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm talking to like, so, 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 and so, so, and so. And she was like, nobody's in here. I was like, oh, okay. Now, is there like a, a community of amputees that you're like boys with? Yeah. Like, I mean, the Paralympic world is amazing. Um, do, so like random, all random. Do you know any shark attack victims? I do. Um, Bethany Hamilton, uh, Soul Surfer. I met I, I I met her once, um, but like I'm not like I'm not close with her or anything. I mean, people like people just assume that's how I lost my leg, and sometimes like I ride it out. It's pretty. Yeah, funny, I would definitely but, say that. That'd be fire. Yeah, um, but I don't really know anybody personally that's gone through. I mean, I know like uh, motorcycles, um, trains like train incidents where they've lost limbs i mean a lot i know a lot of people who are born with it um but like it's crazy like you go to these camps and everything or you like you go to like when i go to the paralympic games everybody has like a disability so it's like always just like fun. it's always funny like walking in the airport with them because airport security has like a friend like freaks out and like needs to check everybody <laughs> it's crazy now do you have like a propensity to take bigger risks now since your accident are you scared of less i mean i yeah i wouldn't say like like i'm for adrenaline i do all these different things but i'm definitely like i don't i don't not do things just because i'm an amputee like i use it as a reason of like okay i'm an amputee like i want to do this so i can show other people that they could do it as well um i, I know, I I know what you mean i i more so mean like were there certain fears you had pre-accident that just don't really bother you anymore after the accident um, that's a good question thanks i'm pretty good at this thing yeah i mean i i actually uh rode a moped once after the accident but i didn't drive i was per but i was perfectly fine i wasn't scared i would say i'm just like 
I'm just like more aware and like cautious. Like I could realize what could be like, what could happen. Um, but that doesn't stop me from doing certain things. I would say like, I'm not, I'm like very, like I realize this about myself. I'm very afraid of heights, but like I would hundred percent go skydiving. Like, I just don't like being in like high situations or like that kind of thing. When like I climb a mountain, I don't want to be on the edge. Like I just, I look over for two seconds and I'm good. But if I had the opportunity to jump out of a plane, I would hundred percent do it. <laughs> Now, outside of just like traditional fears, like what about, let's say like fear of failure or like fear of like career growth, stuff like that. Does that bother you anymore? Yeah. Like, I mean, I just, you know, you think about like going to the Olympic, going to the biggest stage and freaking out, thinking that you're going to trip or you're going to fall star and all your work was for nothing. Um, but other than that, I don't really focus too much on like on my career. I always believe in like, I'm, I'm that person that like is never satisfied with anything. So I'm always trying different things and always thinking like what I can do to better my future. And so that kind of just sets, helps me set up for my future. Um, I'm just always doing different things, but I don't really, I don't really stress too much about failing in like my career or anything like that. I just, I honestly am a big advocate of the living in the moment, living in the present and just worrying about things that I can control because that's definitely something that I learned throughout my whole entire process and journey was I can't worry about things that I have no control in and I need to control the things that I can only control. So I want to ask this next question, like, and not sound like an idiot, but girls care so much what dudes think and like girls care so much about how they look like were you nervous confidence wise like yo I'm not going to be as hot as I was before this and did that ever get to you yeah like in the beginning I mean I was all definitely self-conscious um I think it's definitely taken me a while to get where I am today like I mean where I'm at today, like, I love my prosthetic. I think it, like, makes me look 10 times better looking. All my friends will say that I'm hotter with this prosthetic than I was before my accident just because it's a confidence thing. Um, but in the beginning, it was very difficult with just, like, figuring out, like, my own style and things. Like, I mean, wearing jeans at the beginning wasn't a question for me. Like, I couldn't do it because I didn't have the type of leg. It would look weird. And so I would always like try to wear like longer sweatpants and stuff like that, or like leggings. And it just, it's taken me a while to get where I'm at today because like for a while I didn't have a type of prosthetic foot where I couldn't wear heels, but now I'm to the point where I have this foot where I can adjust it and I can wear heels. So it's just, it's more about like, I mean, I was actually just talking to someone who's a recent amputee and they were asking me because they've seen my Instagram, like my style, they were just asking me, they were like, what did you do? Like, it seems like you're confident with everything. And I mean, I just tell them, I mean, it's honestly up to you and like how you feel and like, you need to find what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So that's just like the biggest thing. But yeah, I never went through a period where I was I, for too long. Like I wasn't self-conscious and I wasn't like doing certain things because I was an amputee in that kind of aspect. You mean like you always felt hot? No, I mean it took me. It took me a while. Like, like until I grew, like I would say my senior year of college is finally when I fart, like started getting the style and like I think figuring that's probably it out. When all girls start to feel better about themselves anyway, though. Yeah, I mean you realize you realize that like you're just grown up and everything like that. 
you feel like a grown-up get out of here <laughs> do you really feel like a grown-up uh you know i i no still consider my, i still consider i still consider myself in high school it's crazy i'm not 24 years old i refuse to be i know i'm like 25 i'm like i'm like an old man i'm like benjamin button it's crazy it's like so sad but i could be a grandfather yeah <laughs> Uh, hey, B, do you want to ask Noel a question? Yeah, sure. Um, are there any, like, new technologies in the prosthetics industry that you get excited about that, like, may improve your time? For, like, my running, like, running blades and stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, they come out with different uh, types of running blades, every single year so that's kind of what i get excited about and i just signed um with a prosthetic company oser so i get their blades for free actually which is really cool but i would say like the other aspect of it like it, i mean it doesn't get me excited when people talk about like leg transplants i feel like i would never get one just because i don't want another person's leg attached to me but i think um um, like how they're perfecting, um, arms and everything, how they're able to like connect it to your mind. So you're able to move your fingers and stuff. I think that's very exciting, um, to get to the point for my everyday life and stuff like that. But I wouldn't really, uh, get too excited about anything happening for me to improve my times on my running blade, just because the Paralympic world now is getting very strict on what you can and can't do. Um, and because people who are double amputees, actually, like what they used to do a lot is kind of uh, make themselves like really tall, like they're on stilts. So their stride is really long. So they're, it, it takes them, it, it takes them like a second to get going. But once they get going, they're like a freaking gazelle. But now they like made it to the point where you have to, you can't be over a certain height. Like they go by your wingspan. And if you're a centimeter off, they won't let you compete. So they're getting very strict on like what you can and can't do. Um, so I don't think they're going to allow anything uh, different to be happening. <laughs> so if you could rock with those like bionicle eye robot type legs, you would do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would love to try it. Now, can you like customize your leg to like, give you like, like doper calves and like, like, so they have like different, yeah, it just depends on like what brand you're using, what type of leg you're using. Um, do you, do you go with the super rip look? I mean, <laughs> mine's very skinny right now. Um, uh, you I got actually, chicken legs. Oh, you got to hit the gym. Yeah, no, I, yeah, actually everyone always makes fun of it. They're always, they always say that like on my Instagrams and stuff. I mean, like I'll always say like, I've been working on my calf muscle on my running blade and everyone's like, it's literally like this then. <laughs> so, so it's crazy. So lifting wise, you're doing like a lot of single leg squats or? No. So uh, lifting, I do everything equally because um, I still, I need to have as much of muscle as I have left in my left leg. And so when I do squats, I do, um, I usually only, I mean, I've go down as far as I can, but I think what's really effective to me is quarter squats. And I mean, I'm, I'm up to like 250 on that. So like I can get to like strong weights, but I mean, that was always something that I was very um, like uh, that was important to me. It was always every time I did like a weight room workout, I was always doing it equal on each side um, just because running, I need to use all the muscles I can on my left side. I was going to say, so like, what is your, 
what is your training like as a sprinter in the gym right now? Just like a lot of explosive work, a lot of like five by fives. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it, it changes just because like in the off season, it's like, it's like a, any other sport in the off season, you lift really heavy and then in season you don't lift as heavy, but I mean, right now I would just say I focus on basically everything in my body. And then I just focus more on like exploding out of, so I can get an explosion out of the blocks and everything like that. Um, my trainer is very good about like switching things up on me. Uh, we don't have like a set workout get like routine where it's the same every single week. It's always different. We're always working on different things. Um, are you benching? So, yeah, I still bench. Um, like one Oh five. I'm not, I'm not we'll trying to get, we'll take it. Yeah, no, I'm not. I've never been, that's never been my strong suit, but like, I still do like, um, deadlifts, um, hand cleans, like stuff like that. It's, it's crazy. I mean, like I can, I can literally do anything. It's just, if, if there's a way, something that I can't do, like I just need to find, like tweak it a little bit and then I'll be fine. If you could do one exercise in the gym for the rest of your life, what would you do? Um, and before you answer this, this is going to say a lot about you. I would say back squats. I love squats. <laughs> we, we were having such a good conversation. Why? What, was, what would yours be? I think people who like squats are actually sick, like actually have real problems. Like, like, I mean, I, they're I actually awful. think you need a mental evaluation. I'm not even joking. <laughs> yeah. I would 100%. I think I'd probably do pull-ups. Yeah. I mean, I do those. I do, I do uh, chance and pull-ups every day. That's just like, kind of like, I do like a certain workout every single night before, before I go to bed and stuff, just like abs and then uh, push-ups and then chin-ups or pull-ups just something I always do. So if you were to go do some like distance miles, how, how fast could you run? Oh my God. I don't even, I don't even know. I haven't even, like a I, mile. Have, I would say right now, like I can maybe do it. If I was actually trying, I could do it in like seven to eight minutes, yeah, but that's like normal. I know, but I, that's just one mile. If I was doing multiple, it would probably be freaking 10 minute miles. I kid you not. Well, I'm out here on the charles every sunday until we drop our movie i'm doing long runs so if you want to join me for one i would love it yeah no i i, I can't i can't run long distance it's literally the hardest thing no in- do one mile just do one all right we'll see we'll see <laughs> so question for you we talked yeah. about a little bit on the phone as a sprinter your diet right now is like yo you kind of just because i was like on the phone i was like what are you doing for diet like yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, but I pretty much eat whatever I want. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, because I work out as much as I do, like I usually just um focus on like the calories and like just keeping the protein inside me. I'm not really big on I'm not really big on like maintaining like a certain diet. Like it's just something that has always worked for me. Like something that's always worked for me is intermediate fasting like we talked about um and like, I only like to eat like within six or seven hours within a day. Um, I don't really like eating too late at night because waking up in the morning, I don't like feeling that food in my stomach. And I'm also very weird. I don't like eating like a big breakfast before I lift or before I practice. Cause I don't like feeling it inside me, but 
what I'll usually do, like what my workout plan usually is, is I usually lift first and then I usually have to drive like an hour to practice. Um, so I usually eat literally in the car on my way to practice. I usually have like prepackaged meals. And then like, I will wait a few hours after practice, a couple hours, and then I'll eat dinner. So I only usually eat like a later, later breakfast and then an earlier dinner and then maybe having a couple snacks and then I'm good for the day. <laughs> well, I'm starving. So let's, wrap, <laughs> so let's wrap this up, dude. Um, <laughs> hey, did you have fun? Exactly. I said, did you have fun? Oh, oh, absolutely. I had a great time. You were very easy to talk to. These are the kind of interviews I love. Just very laid back, very like getting to the point, but having a good time doing it. Sweet. Who is better, me or Kelly Clarkson? I would say you. <laughs> she said it. <laughs> I'm like flipping. Um, all right, listen, we, we have two bits to end the show. Okay. Number, well, number one, are you, what, what size sweatshirt do you rock? I just rock a medium. All right. I'm going to, I'll get your address after this and I'll ship you one. Awesome. Thank you. That's number one. Number two, I'm releasing a movie in the spring. Yes. You told me that. Yeah. I need you when I drop it to get with all your shorty friends that go to Capo and party, drink the White Claws. I know that yep. you guys got to get together and just watch it. That's all I'm asking. All right. I got you. We'll definitely watch it. I got a lot of, I got a lot of friends, so I will definitely hook you up with that. Sweet. And if you hate it, you can knock me out. If you like it, you just got to spread the good word. I will. Don't you worry. <laughs> all right. And the final bit is, this is how we start and end the show. You have to say okay. hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, you have to say hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Okay. So I have to say my name. Hi, my name. Wait, I have to do it twice or once? You're confusing me. See, I'm not. I don't know. You can totally tell I wasn't a schoolgirl. <laughs> I don't know, man. You tell me. Just give it a try. Okay. Hi, my name's Noelle Lambert, and this is my golden hour. Hi, my name's Noelle Lambert, and that was my golden hour. That was perfect. You killed it. All right. That's what you meant. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, Noelle, I'm glad we met. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you so much, Connor, for having me on. For sure. And again, I'll get your address. I'll ship you over a hoodie, and then I'll see you out on the Charles this Sunday. We'll, we'll get like 15 miles in. All right. All right. Sounds great. All right. See you later. <laughs> All right. Thank you.